And the music been good. How about that sound system? Cindy, thank you. You know, you got to play songs like that with passion, you know, because we're talking about Easter and the resurrection. So uh, one of the blessings of our life is we live kind of behind Cindy or she lives behind our house. So I can walk out in my backyard and hear you practicing. Did you know that? It's good, isn't it, Rick? It's good. <laughs> so uh, thank you. And Russell and Christy, thank you as always. You bless us and uh, we appreciate you. Invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. The title of the message is The Family Business. Has anybody here ever watched the show The Prophet? A few hands. Of course, Ricky Cox, a banker. I picked on you in two services in a row, Ricky. I'm sorry. Don, you've watched it. He's not a banker. Uh, Mark's, Marcus Lemonis is the uh, is the guy on The Prophet. And uh, the one show that I saw, pretty much the whole show, actually happened over in Latta at Schuler's Barbecue. Now, does that ring a bell? Anybody been to Schuler's Barbecue? You know what I'm talking about. One of the things he said about family businesses is that um, 60% of second-generation family businesses fail. So the father and mother start a business. They turn it over to a son or daughter. 60% of those fail. 90% of third-generation businesses fail. We're talking this morning about a family business that before the message is over, I'm going to convince you this one cannot fail because we've all been called to the family business. But I want to look at Luke chapter 2 to start with, and then we're going to be in Matthew for the remainder of the message. A lot of people wonder, what was the life of Christ like as a young boy? In fact, there's a movie out now called Young Messiah. Has anybody seen Young Messiah? Is it out yet? Is it out? Will, is Young Messiah out yet? It's not out. That's why they haven't seen it. It is out. It is out. Have you seen it? But it's out. Where is it out? It's in Conway. Will lives in Conway. Maybe it came out this weekend. The point is this. They tell you right at the beginning of the movie, this is a fictional account. And what the reviewers are saying is it's probably a very charming movie about the life of Christ when he's seven years old. There's only two issues so far that I have with the movie, maybe three. One, we don't know what Jesus would do when he was seven years old. We, we can surmise, and I'm going to point some of that out. But in the movie, he, he like is already performing miracles at the age of seven. There's no biblical support or evidence for that. In fact, I would say I think there's support that he wasn't doing that. And the other one is Mary and Joseph apparently have a little conversation about when do we reveal to him who he is. Well, that's bordering on heresy. And you're going to see that in this passage. Jesus knew exactly who he was. Now, when Jesus was eight days old, they take him to the temple. So we see Jesus after his birth. He goes eight days old. Not long after that, obviously, they flee from Jerusalem. They're in Egypt for a while because there's somebody trying to kill them. They come back at some point and end up settling in Nazareth. But I want you to look at Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were turning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. Let me just stop right there and give you the context. Every year, his parents would go and do their religious duty as a Jew. One of the things you would do is travel up to Jerusalem. 
And in case you ever hear somebody say, we went up to Jerusalem, it really doesn't matter which direction you come from, north, south, east, or west, you've got to go up to get to Jerusalem. In fact, if you've ever read in the Psalms where it says Psalms of Ascent, those were Psalms and songs that the pilgrims going to Jerusalem would sing on their way up to this hilltop of Jerusalem. In fact, if you've ever been over there, one of the things we do on our trips is leave the Sea of Gal- or the Dead Sea, which is about 1,400 feet below sea level, and travel up to Jerusalem, which is about that far above sea level. So it's a pretty incredible journey to go up to Jerusalem. And so they would have left Nazareth and spent days traveling to Jerusalem. They did that every year. They were celebrating the Feast of the Passover. Jews right now are celebrating the Feast of the Passover. What are they celebrating? They're celebrating a remembrance from when they were in Egypt and the ten plagues came, the last of which was that if you didn't have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and lintel of the house, then the firstborn in that house, both human and animal, would be killed. And so they're celebrating the fact that because they obeyed God, the death angel passed over their house. And so the Jews have been told to commemorate this from that day forward, and so they did that. They went to Jerusalem. They would have been part of a sacrifice of a lamb for their family. And what a picture of what was about to happen that we're celebrating the Easter. And that is ultimately the Lamb of God being sacrificed on the cross. So Jesus is 12 years old. I think there's something significant about the fact he's 12. And the fact of what he's about to do, I don't think he could have done before he was 12. And that is at the age of 12 was about the time as a Jewish man you were considered to be a man. You started having access to precincts in the temple and even conversations with rabbis that you would not have had before. And the custom of bar mitzvah actually occurs after, several centuries after this. But that's basically what has happened here. I think Jesus went up for a celebration. He's now able to do what he couldn't do before, and so he stays behind. But his parents were unaware of it. But supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Think about that. Now, that boggles our minds just a little bit that we think, wait a minute, how do parents not know that Jesus is not there? Well, they traveled as a caravan, as I said. They went by families and acquaintances. They've taken this long trip. And so you didn't know every minute of the day where the children were. You were just getting to camp. They probably traveled about 20 miles downhill back towards Nazareth, and camp begins to be struck and or, or created. You know, they're putting the tents up and cooking supper, and Mary and Joseph are saying, where's Jesus? And they can't find him. And so they go, I'm sure, from tent to tent, table to table, have you seen Jesus? No, we, we saw him in Jerusalem. We haven't seen him since we left. And they've gone 20 miles, and they finally realize Jesus is not with us. Now, you as a parent think, how frantic are you going to be at this point? Now, this doesn't even occur in this day and age where we just kind of forget our child for 20 miles down the road. Hopefully that's never occurred. But they've been gone all day. So how long does it take to get back to Jerusalem? About another day. In fact, they're going uphill back, so maybe it's a little quicker going down. Maybe they quicken their step to get back. But they get there, and after three days, verse 46, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And I just want to stop there a minute. 
They spent a day going. They spent a day coming back. They have spent all day looking for Jesus. So apparently they didn't go and look for him in the temple to start with. They're looking around the streets and wondering what has happened to Jesus. Well, they found him in the last place they looked, which always happens. Why don't we just look there first? And after three days they found him sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. Think about that. Here's a 12-year-old boy listening to these rabbis teach and asking questions. Verse 47, And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. In fact, the word amazed means to be put out of your wits. So the teachers, he's asking questions. I would imagine the questions amazed them. Sometimes you can tell how smart somebody is or what they're knowing by the kind of questions they ask, but also his answers. And I don't think it went like this. I don't think Jesus asked the rabbi's questions and then goes, no, 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 no. I don't think he was doing that at all. I think he simply engaged them in conversations and perhaps they all asked him questions. And they are amazed at the understanding of a 12-year-old Verse 48, when they saw him, they were astonished. This is his parents. They're astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business or in my father's house? They're astonished, and I think a little concerned, maybe even a little angry, In fact, I get a sense of the tone of Mary's questions. Why have you treated us this way? And Jesus simply says, why have you been looking for me? You ought to know where I am. As I studied this passage the last few weeks, a a memory came back to my mind. When I was a child, every year we went to a family reunion at a place in West Georgia called Callaway Gardens. Anybody ever been to Callaway Gardens? You know what I'm talking about? And... uh, Went there every year, and, and one of the things they had, they had a little circus thing, they had paddle boats, they had a lake, they had a train, and I remember we had ridden the train, it was my brother, my father and I had ridden the train, and my dad said, do y'all want to do the paddle boats? And we said, yeah, daddy, we want to do the paddle boats. So I don't know why he did it this way, but he said, all right, I've got to go back to the picnic area and get my wallet. And why my brother went with him, I don't know, but he said, Robert, you sit right here. It was this concrete slab, he said, sit there, don't move. So I sat there, and I started just kind of looking around, and I noticed they're clearing the lake. I mean, time has passed by. They've pulled everybody out of the lake. Now they've got emergency divers in the lake, and my father hadn't come back for me. And I start getting worried, and I, I know over an hour has passed. And I'm thinking, well, do I stay here? So I finally get up and walk back to where the picnic tables were. When I walked back, my grandmother was crying. My dad and mom said, where have you been? And I said, I've been sitting over there where you told me to sit. What had happened is one of the lifeguards, and back in those days the lifeguard chairs were actually in the lake. They had their back to the lake, and they were looking at the lakefront. And some child had dove in and swam under one of the lifeguard chairs, and they never saw him come up. My parents jumped to the conclusion that Robert didn't do what we told him to do. Now, I don't know where they've gotten that idea. But some way they thought Robert didn't do it. And so they are convinced that I have drowned. And they have already gone 10 miles down the road of we've lost our son. 
And my thought is, why didn't you think to go back and look where you left me? Because I've been sitting there for over an hour. I just want to ride the paddle boats. I don't even remember what happened the rest of that day. I don't think we ever got to ride the paddle boats because my whole family, I'm talking like 50 or so people, are all upset because they thought I had died and they never found anybody that drowned. It's probably just somebody dove in and swam and they didn't see them come back up. So I kind of identify a little bit here when Jesus says, why were you looking for me? I'm right where you left me. Now, he's been there for three days. I don't know what he did at night. I don't know what the rabbis assumed this 12-year-old boy did at night. I'm assuming they didn't sit there and talk around the clock for three days, but maybe they did. But Mary and Joseph come back and say, Jesus says, why are you looking for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? In fact, the word house is not there. It's just about my father's business, affairs, my father's house. And then look at verse 50. But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. No, see, I think at the age of 12, Jesus was telling his parents who he was. Do you not understand that I had to be about my father's business? That's why Jesus came, to be about his father's business. It would ultimately take him to the cross. So get in mind, the father's business, Jesus, is going to live to be about 30 years old. He's going to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. About three years later, after ministry all over the, the area of Israel at that time, he'd be put to death on a cross. That was the Father's business. And he went down with them. They didn't understand it. Verse 51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Now get, get this in mind. Jesus, who is God in the flesh continued in subjection to Mary and Joseph. Why? Because he was their son. And so he, he arranged themselves under their authority. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So that's the family business. Jesus didn't have any uncertainty about it. He knew, certainly by the age of 12, exactly why he came. He understood the family business. And yet the people that knew him didn't know what the family business was about. If you'd like to look at Mark chapter 6, it gives you a little indication of what the people thought about him. Once Jesus started doing ministry, they, they tried to discount the family business by saying, isn't this Jesus who's, verse 3 of chapter 6, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So the people in Jesus' time looked at him and simply said, what's he doing preaching? What's he doing having this authority? He's just a carpenter. Now we know that Joseph was a carpenter, but apparently by the time Jesus is 30 years old, I believe Joseph has, has passed away at this point. Because we don't see him at the cross, we don't see him again, and they don't refer to Joseph. They say, isn't this Mary's son? They named four of his brothers and only... Mentioned that he had sisters. We don't know if it was two or more. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. So Jesus knew the family business, but the people tried to paint him in a box of, he's just a carpenter, don't listen to him. Second point this morning is, all along the way, Satan tried to thwart or derail the family business. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. 
Jesus has been baptized by John in the Jordan River. He's about 30 years old, the Scripture tells us. And then he was led by the Spirit, verse 1 of chapter 4 of Matthew, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We only know the big three at the end of 40 days. I think he was tempted the whole time. Satan is tempting him, tempting him, tempting him. We get to see the three at the end. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Here's how we know something was special about Jesus. He didn't get hungry until 40 days. If this was written about me, it would have said, later that day. But he had gone 40 days without food. I know people who've done that. Anybody here ever gone 40 days without eating? You've ever fasted, John, for 40 days? It it gets a little easier, I think. You know, you start off a little hungry after two or three days, and then your body kind of shuts down a little bit. But after 40 days, you're hungry. And your body needs to eat. And I've been in that part of Israel. There are rocks over there, and they look like a loaf of bread. They really do. And so the tempter came and said to him, and I want you to catch this, if you are the Son of God. Folks, we're going to see that twice in this passage. You see it again over in the crucifixion account. If, if you really are the Son of God. What's Satan saying? Hey, prove it. Do it my way and prove that you really are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, command those stones to become bread. Could Jesus have done that? Yeah. But what does Jesus do? It's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And just a little aside here. Every time Jesus was tempted, he quoted Scripture. Good lesson for us. If you're struggling in areas of life, where it seems like the devil just jumps on your back and tells you half-truths, which are all all lies, memorize Scripture. The way to beat Satan is with the truth. Because he's the father of all lies, and there is no truth in him. He says it again. Verse 5, The devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. Satan quoted Scripture himself. He just misapplied it. In their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So we see Satan saying, If you are the Son of God. Was Jesus the Son of God? Yes. Did Jesus know he was the Son of God? Yes. You know what? When you know something's true, you don't go around thinking, I've got to prove that. I sure don't have to prove it to you, the devil. The devil knew exactly who he was, and that's why he's trying to derail the ministry that God's called him to. So we see him try to derail it in Matthew 4, 1. And it's one thing when the devil tries to do it. Look over in chapter 16 of Matthew. Just flip a few pages over to chapter 16. Jesus has had an encounter with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. And he's asked them, who do people say the Son of Man is? And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, got to give him credit, Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. But then Jesus starts telling what's about to happen. Verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now get a picture of this. 
Peter hears what Jesus says, and, and Peter's decided, no, we're not going to let that happen. Jesus, come over here with me a minute. That's not going to happen. And so Peter rebukes Jesus, of, of all people. Who does Peter think he is? And said, God forbid it, Lord, that it should ever happen to you. Verse 23, listen to Jesus. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. So Satan tried to derail him. Peter, one of his own followers who knew him best on earth, tried to derail the purpose of God. And then Jesus in Matthew 26 has had that awesome time with his disciples in the upper room, the last supper. We, we looked at that a little bit at the sunrise service this morning. It says they sang a hymn and headed out. And Jesus told his disciples, tonight all of you are going to fall away. And Peter says, no, not me. Yeah, I believe it about the rest of these people. <laughs> but not me. And it says they all said the same thing. Peter said, even if it costs me my life. Remember what Jesus said? Peter, here's the truth. Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me, not just once, but three times. And Peter just, no, that's not going to happen. And it was just a few hours later, exactly that's happening. But where do they head? They head out of the upper room. They head into the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 36, and just summarize, Jesus brings his 11 disciples because Judas has left. He goes into the Garden. He leaves some at the entrance to the Garden. He takes a few a little further with him, and he says to them, Pray. Pray. Pray for me. Pray for yourselves. And he went a little further into the garden. And here's what Jesus prayed. Verse 39, He went a little beyond them and fell on His face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as You will. Later on, He prays it again. And here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. I know what the Father's business is. I know what I came here to do. But for the horror that was before Him, he just asked the question, is there any other way? We live among a generation of people that want to tell you, yeah, there's another way. If there was any other way, then Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. And I don't think we catch the, the horror of the cross. It's bad enough that He's beaten, He's spit on. According to Isaiah, they pull the beard on His face. They mock Him, make fun of Him. Put him on a cross, and then what happens? While he's dying on the cross, it says people are passing by. You know what they're saying? If you are the Son of God, why don't you prove it? Come down off the cross. Could Jesus have done that? Could have. In fact, we were talking about this morning before the sunrise service when Jesus comes out of the garden and he sees the men approaching to arrest him. He doesn't run. stands right there. Peter decides to be all macho because he's told Jesus he's not going to betray him. So he cuts the dude's ear off. Jesus heals him. And he says, Peter, don't you know I could have called 12 legions of angels? A legion's at least 6,000. That's 72,000 angels. And I've thought about that often. How many angels would it have taken to solve this little problem? I'm thinking one. <laughs> he could have called 72,000. I think the power of Christ displayed at the cross is, is that He stayed on the cross because He loves you that much even while people are passing by taunting him. And then if it doesn't get, if that's not bad enough, then one of the thieves beside him, who's dying himself, starts 
picking up the cause and hurling insults at Jesus and says the same thing. If you are the Son of God, prove it. Jump down off the cross. And by the way, take me with you. And I don't know how long that went on, but I love the guy over here. If I had written this, this is the way it would have gone. Would you just shut up? Don't you fear God? Don't you understand that you and I are under the same penalty, but this man is innocent? He's done no wrong, and he looks at Jesus and says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Folks, I just say that right there is the simplistic gospel, as simple as it gets. What's he done? He's admitted he's a sinner. He needs a Savior. He turns to Jesus. You talk about it at the 11th hour. This is 11.59. And what does Jesus say? I tell you the truth. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So the family business was attempted to be derailed. But then my last point, we've been called to join him in the family business. After Jesus rose from the dead, he had told his disciples and he had reminded them through the angel, I'm going to rise from the dead and here's what you to do. Go meet me in Galilee. All right, what do the disciples do? They hide out in a room in Jerusalem. Jesus rises from the dead by Sunday night. He's talking to them in this room in Jerusalem. And again, if it had been me, I'd have walked in and said, what are y'all doing here? I told you to meet me in, in Galilee. It's going to take about a week to get there. Get going. Thomas wasn't there, and he didn't believe it. A week later, Jesus appears to him again. So they spent a week in Jerusalem, still hadn't gotten to Galilee. But after that week, they go to Galilee, and they hadn't seen Jesus for a little while. And Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And six other disciples said, sounds good, let's go. Seven disciples are fishing on the side of the lake, or they're in the lake. Jesus appears to them on the side of the lake. And so he's appeared to them several times, twice in the room, once on the side of the lake, he appeared to a couple on the road to Emmaus. He's appeared to the women. And you get to verse 16. Here's where I close. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee and to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Who were the some? I don't think it was the disciples. I think it was about 500 people. Paul tells us over in 1 Corinthians that Jesus appeared to over 500 on one occasion. I think he appeared to over 500 in Galilee. And some doubted, and I think they doubted right up till they heard his voice. Verse 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. And then he gives the great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. What's Jesus inviting you to do? He's inviting you to join the family business. You remember I told you what Marcus Lamona says, 60% of second generation businesses fail, 90% of third generation businesses fail. Guess what? We're still in the first business, first generation. Who's in charge of it? God is. He hasn't died. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's just called us, join me in the family business that has an assurance 100% will be successful. What have we been asked to do? The same thing Jesus had been doing for three years on earth. His three years of ministry was telling people about the kingdom of God, drawing them to himself. You and I have been invited to that. And here's what Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's the imperative mandate in that? It's not go. I've heard preachers say, 
Well, the thing we've got to do is go. Actually, it's a participle. And it's, it literally could be going. It's assumed that you're going to go. So it really is saying, as you go, make disciples. Now, some, for some of you, that's going to be on an international field. But for most of you in here, the going part is going to be where you find yourself on a daily basis. What are we to do? Make disciples. How did Jesus make disciples? He called men to follow him. He called pupils. That's what disciple is, a learner. And you and I have been called to do the same thing. Not by our authority. It's God's authority. We've been called to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to teach them to observe all that I command you, and then listen to the good news. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's the great news. Jesus has invited us to participate in the family business, but he goes with us. He hasn't kicked you out there to do something that he hadn't already done and that he's not preparing the way for you to do. So here's my point this Easter as we close. Will you take up the calls of the family business? Will you just simply tell people about Jesus? For some of you, that may mean that you travel to do that. You may become a national missionary, international missionary, or a minister full-time. But for most of you, it's going to be that at work or at school, or in your home, or your neighborhood. You're demonstrating Jesus to people under His authority and power. And you never forget the fact we're not in this alone. He's with us. Let's pray together. Fathers, we celebrate today the resurrection. What a great call to ministry. God, we see what Jesus did on earth over nearly 33 years. And really focusing on the last three years of ministry. He was faithful to the call. He went to the cross. He paid a debt he didn't owe because I owed a debt I could not pay. And because of his death, sin has been paid for. And I now can have relationship, fellowship eternally with God. Father, if we've heard that kind of good news, how could we help but tell other people? So God, would you bless us this week as we do what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 28. Tell others as we go. We pray this in Jesus' name.